a very warm welcome. Good evening. Praise the Lord for your presence here, and we thank the Lord that he is present with us as we've rejoiced and worshipped him tonight in these songs and um, just sharing the word tonight. Uh, thank you for your prayers. And uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4. Now, if you know Matthew 4, um, the temptation of Jesus, you probably remember, okay, Luke 4 is the same. Good way to remember it. Two long accounts there. We're in Mark, and we have a little account in Mark. We might look at. We will be looking at a couple of those verses also, but mainly from Luke chapter four. And I've titled this the measuring of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by measuring? Every day, some way, we all measure something. Whether you know it's cooking, we're measuring quantities. We're measuring for a recipe, whether it be by weight or millimeter, milliliters or ounces. We are measuring uh, so we can uh, get it right. See, measurement is a form of discipline. It's making a correction to a standard, and so you can have success in that. Now, when we look at like health, there's many. Our health, today's technology, they can measure even by infrared your temperature with one of those tools and blood pressure and blood sugar levels and ECG. Many of us are accustomed to that, a bit older, what ECG. And it's it's great measuring tools to help us um, so the doctors can correct any deficiencies or um, problems. So it's a form of discipline in correction. And you've got measuring tools on your phone apps now where you can measure what altitude you're at. Or I've got one where I can point... The marker from one point, and then I point it to another, and it measures that distance. And uh, so that's so when we um, maintain a standard of correction, let's think this heading, the measuring of Jesus. What standard of correction? When we read through um, this text and look at this message tonight, like we're going to see by what instrument, by what tool that the Lord Jesus is relying upon in his preparation, as we will see, um, for ministry. And he's already been baptised, which was the official announcement, opening of the Lord's ministry for the next three years. Um, it's the Holy Spirit, the measuring, um, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. We'll read it. And then just thinking, by what standard? The standard we will see is the word of God, as it is written. And um, as he replies there, and what was the exactment of measurement as we try to get it exact and we try to make those corrections so we don't... What we do is we measure twice. We do as humans, so we cut once and get it right. But his exact measurement was the perfect truth was revealed in the Son of Man, as Luke puts it. And so let's read the text and then we'll um, carry on from there. We'll pray and then I'll introduce a bit more and then we'll get into our first point. So... Uh, Luke 4, I'm going to read from 1 to 13. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it, may, that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I, I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he besought, and he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, said not unto and Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this night. Thank you for each one that you've been able to, Lord, that has been able to come, Lord, through your providing and provision there. Thank you for uh, this, your word, Lord, as it is written. We can read and I pray as your Holy Spirit ministered to our Saviour in that great trial, that great grief and uh, um, that of the, the, the temptation that he confronted, Lord, of the full force of Satan, Lord, and he had the victory we see. And help us to, Lord, see these wonderful resources that we have available to us today, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, in the victories we can have over the... Lord, sin and uh, that Lord and the temptations thereof, Lord, that we're Lord in those things, Lord, around us, Lord. We pray that you will show yourself strong through the preacher tonight, Lord. We pray that we will see Jesus in all your glory and power and strength and victory, Lord. And Father, we just thank you and pray that um, you open the eyes of our hearts that we will behold wondrous truth out of thy law out of thy word lord and lord we thank you for your exceeding great and precious promises and a blessed hope that we have in christ lord and uh we ask these things now and commit this night unto you for your glory and praise in jesus name amen all right all right in the previous chapter of luke 3 uh, we have that beginning of the Lord's ministry in the baptism of our Lord by John the Baptist. And what we have, we have the dove uh, in verse 22, upon him and a voice from heaven, this is chapter 3, and a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. So after the dove, this dedication of our Lord Jesus and receiving the Spirit of God, which um, is pictured here in this way then came the devil and uh and and it's a little point the, the, the lord jesus was never not without the holy spirit it's just emphasized here in this um in beginning of his ministry and 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 in the preparation there in that work that was happening in that introduction so after the dove then came the devil because we're going and then we have the benediction we just read there. Then came the battle. 
And so we have the total approval of the Father. So what we're seeing from one extreme of a high spiritual uh, picture here, that um, from the green, as it quote, from the green plains of the Jordan to the barren, what we're going to see now as we've just read, the barren wastelands of the wilderness, alone with the devil in chapter 4 here. See, the Lord Jesus has identified with sinners in baptism there. And uh, in, as the Son of Man, as Luke is portraying him, and uh, he came, the sinners that he came to save. And here in chapter 4, we see the Lord Jesus identifying with sinners in temptation. And we know, we sing, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And uh, so the theme here in submission to the will of God the ability to overcome evil by the Holy Spirit's empowerment in the Word of God, regardless of circumstances that can change, as we see a great change here, or the environment, or fear. And, uh, and so, and we know that our Lord was, uh, I'm talking about the fear of man as we have, and, uh, and not. And the Lord knew God would deliver him, and we'll see that. And so what are the three P's for a proper paint job? And uh, Larry's not here tonight, but I think you know. I'll give the first P, preparation. What are the other two? Three P's of having a successful paint job before you put any paint on. Preparation. Preparation and preparation. Have you not heard <laughs> heard that before? Preparation is very important. And what we see the writer here, Luke, shows an order of preparation of the Son of Man uh, before he enters into what we see, the full-time ministry. Um, and so what we see, the preparation of, his, of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and uh, full, fulfilling the prophecy of... And we read that in the previous chapter. For Israel to prepare their hearts to receive him, preaching what was called the baptism of repentance. That is, repent first of your sin. He came in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, as were prophesied by the prophet. And, um, and, you know, Israel's hearts were in the wilderness of unbelief. And so we see that. And... And to show that outward sign of true repentance, that he, he was to baptise them as, a, as he did there and our Lord Jesus. And the preparation, again, of baptism, which, and, uh, which I've mentioned. And one thing just there in verse 21 of the previous chapter. Now, when all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptised. And it says, and Luke is the only one that says this in regards to after him being baptised and praying, the heaven was open. So we see Luke's aim in presenting Christ as the Son of Man ever dependent on God the Father because we see most of the prayers that the Lord prayed in Luke. The Well, he, he records the majority of in that complete dependence. And then what we're going to look at now, the preparation by testing. So preparation, preparation and Preparation by testing in the temptation. So our first point is emphasising here, we'll see in verse 3 and 4, the will of God. This is the first 
This is in line with the will of God in the first temptation. And so uh, I'll read that again. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So as we would understand God's will, let's go back to the beginning. And that just takes us back to the start of Genesis there, chapter 2. There. Uh, where we can see a parallel of the way that Jesus was tested and the, the way that Adam was tested by Satan. And Adam faced his temptation, though, in the contrast, in the most favourable circumstances imaginable. And, and we know that was in the beautiful Garden of Eden. And uh, at this time there was no sin there yet. And Jesus faced his in a very bad and severe circumstance, quite opposite and so as we, I'm in chapter 2, um, just considering the first Adam had one command of God to obey, other than the dressing and keeping of the Garden of Eden, he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in verse 17 of chapter 2. And Adam was tempted in, a, yes, a beautiful garden. He was well fed. Remember our Lord was had not eaten for 40 days. And that the garden and... And he was nourished. And unfortunately, sadly for all of us, he failed. Yet he failed. And uh, we would have failed too, as we know our own deceitfulness of our hearts. Well, who does know it? The Lord knows. And so the last Adam, though, as we consider back, we'll, we'll go back to Genesis, just keep your finger in there, um, was tempted in a, in a dangerous wilderness. And Mark refers to that in Mark 1.13 at the end there with wild beasts. It talks in giving emphasis of that where he was famished, literally starved, and he succeeded in obeying the will of God. So we can understand the will of God is completely obeying what God says. It is written uh, in his word. And so the approach the devil used, see, in both instances, was implying that something, uh, as we consider in his words here, as we'll look at, um, was wrong with the father's love that, it, that he was he was doubting the father's love um, and just the subtle ways of promoting that doubt in just small words and hath God said um, yea in verse 1 of chapter 3 and yea hath God said and, and, and then in verse 3 of chapter 4 there if that little two word if causing um so why doesn't, like that doubt, why, in a way, the devil is saying, why doesn't he share everything with you to Eve and, uh, and to the Lord? Why be hungry? The devil was opposing the Father's will by feeding what we see, the lust of the flesh, through the physical appetite. Um, and so, and there we saw that in verse 3 of both those chapters. And this... Is not um, this here is what is the sin of self indulgence that the world is involved in today in feeding that lust of the flesh. Very selfish. And that's doing or intending to do exactly what one wants for their own pleasure or not for their own idleness because they don't want to do anything. And, uh, and so we see um, here back in chapter 4 of Luke. 
that this if thou be the son of God in verse 3 is not so much it's it's yes it's 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 not an assumption but the statement of the fact of Jesus deity man had been a pushover all those years this is you know um, 4,000 rough years roughly the devils had since the fall and man has just as we see failed and that's why we have the Lord coming as um, in the New Testament as the perfect prophet, priest and king as we know and um, the devil knew him to be God and he did not underestimate him but the enemy is the master of casting doubt over our abilities of our calling, of our salvation. That's a big one that he works on and he's had a long time to work on that. Even that's why he uses the word if to cast doubt on the sonship of Jesus. And our Lord was standing before Satan at this time and he was starving, famished. And when the body's reserves and resources are depleted by not having any food, for that period of time, the result is a substantial weight loss. And what we have is literally skin and bone and in his humanity. So what the devil is saying is, listen to me, and you can have instant sustenance. Turn this stone to bread since you claim to be God. See, there's a quote. God had but one son without corruption, but he had none without temptation. And that takes us to that key verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, which we read, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And that reminds us there is no sin in being tempted. And temptation does not necessitate sinning as the Lord proved that to us. And we'll see that. So we know that it was a temptation for Jesus to to use his power to gratify an obvious personal physical need of eating. But how easily it would have been to turn the stone into bread. He could have done it. For it We know soon he turns the water into wine in that first recorded miracle. But it wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's will and way in this presentation, this preparation. So John, um, that that Christ's first recorded miracle there in John chapter 2 verse 9, but Jesus knew this was God's will for him at this time. He had been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. We see that in verse 1. And he had been led into the long fast of eating nothing and had no word from God to break it. And the Father knew he could endure it. Yes, in Christ's perfect humanity and uh, here as he portrays it in the Gospel of Luke, he was a, um, his, yes, was a desperate need. But Jesus exposed this lie of the devil by answering him there. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And this is the will of God. Our lives, like Christ, are not to be run by circumstances, no matter how demanding and how busy, but run by the word of God. 
Jesus knew that God had not brought him into the world to die of starvation in the desert. And he refused to take matters into his own hands. And as we consider an example of King Saul, and I'm not going to read that, but just as 1 Samuel 13, 5 to 15, when he was in a situation there that seemed very hopeless. His army were facing the Philistine army and they outnumbered them greatly. And Saul was to wait for the prophet and uh, to come. And, you know, Samuel there and... But what was happening, his army were so fearful and trembling, they were running away, literally. They were fleeing. And so he took matters into his own hands. He didn't want to go into battle without first offering a sacrifice to the Lord. And I always think of that saying that we learned on Tuesday night of Bob Jones Sr., Pastor Hines shared, it's never right to do the right thing in a wrong way. And we're seeing that here when in that story. With, without waiting for God's appointed priest, Saul offered the sacrifice himself, if you remember. And so he, and you know what? Samuel literally within minutes was on the scene after he did that. If he had just waited that little bit more, it would have, it would have been a different account. But Saul's impatience and lack of faith cost him dearly. We know it cost him his, eventually his kingship, his crown. And you know what? It cost him his, son his family's dynasty and uh, none of them got to because David was already chosen we know God had already prepared that but he lost his life eventually and so without faith and patience we can't receive what the Lord promises and it says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises and that this is the will of God and it should be our purpose that, and desire in, in life, in living, to honour God and, and waiting on him. And so the will of God. And then we see as we move on to the second temptation or having had that victory, the worship of God and verse 5 to 8. And uh, we know... The devil, taking him up into a high mountain there in verse 5, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And we'll come to that. I'll read verse 8 in a sec. Again, the same deceitful craftiness as when tempting Eve in the garden. The devil is now appealing. We already looked at the lust of the flesh. He's appealing now to the lust of the eyes. And uh, because in Genesis 3.6, remember he said, it, well, Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, this tree in the middle of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, can we detect from the enemy's point of doubting of not only... Um, the starving son, but the stifled son. Like, okay, look, as it were, like in presenting this second temptation, you're 30 years old. He doesn't say this, but just as we consider this, you're 30 years of age and you're still known as the carpenter's son. Worship me and I'll set you on the throne of the world. Do as I say. And you shall have instant sovereignty over my kingdoms of this world. It was a right 
We know that Satan had taken from Adam at the fall when man sinned because we know the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, he's called the ruler of this world, the prince of this world in John 12.31. And if you know 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's called little g, the god of this world. That's how he's referred to, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. So, but God has purposed that the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom's of our Lord and of his Christ. And we read that in Revelation 11.15, and I'll read that. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the Lord knew this, and Jesus knew he would get back these kingdoms for the Father, but not by bowing to the devil now. The Father had promised to give the Son all the kingdoms of the world, But first the son had to suffer and die. The suffering must come first, then the glory. And I'm just going to read a little bit in Revelation 5, verse 9 to 12. And it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the numbers of them were ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. As God as we heard this morning is dealing and getting the attention of this wicked world to prepare for the reign of Christ, his kingdom. And so what a worthy and uh, may we that be our worship, worship of God as we're looking at this, worthy is the lamb. The devil was offering Jesus the crown without the cross. And that compared to suffering is very alluring for many people. And today's attitude of people is to seek a prominent place in the world without the hard work. We're seeing that. Because, look, just one example of Meredith Roofing that put our roof and wall cladding on our new factory that's 100 metres long by 50 metres wide. So it's a lot of, you know, sheeting. And it's about an acre and a quarter under the shared roof. And that's when you... And they were telling us that they the last eight years, I'll say eight, it was at least eight, they might have been ten, but... They've been trying to look for a good apprentice who will work on the roof in the sun and the rain. Well, not the rain, they probably don't do it, but to, you know, have an apprenticeship as a roof plumber. And they've not been able to find one that's willing to commit and dedicate to that hard work. And uh, they they want the office jobs, they tell us. They want, they want the, the easy job. And this is the problem today. And uh, we're seeing that more and more with... A shortage of people willing to do the hard yards first and then, you know, get the experience and, and, and the understanding and appreciation before, you know, they can move on. But they want to start at the top. Now, and this is why so many young people are going to terrible debt. They want the nice house first yeah. and it, before they, you know, start little and then just work your way up. 
and and a strong they want a, there's a strong desire this is the devil work in giving a strong desire for power and possessions and uh and so sacrifice the eternal they do for the temporary the adversary offered jesus a way out from going to the cross and we can be thankful eternally grateful it was the joy that was set before our Saviour, as we read in Hebrews 12, set before him. That was the joy that was set before him was our salvation and wanting to do his will and worship him. Also, as we look at this outline, and he, he endured the terrible suffering of the cross for us, despising the shame. And, and, and we see that with that answer in verse 8, I'll read now. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, the devil said nothing about serving, but the Lord Jesus mentioned it, because if you worship something, you will serve them. That's what he, he, he wanted, his service. And, uh, and that's what, whatever we uh, worship, whatever we, um, we will serve. And uh, vice versa. So, what was the Lord's sole means of defence? Here again, we see the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and as we know from Ephesians six seventeen. And so that leads us now the third temptation, which we've already looked at: the Word of God, the Word of God. So, the will of God, the worship of God. Now, the Word of God, and um, because with this third temptation, now if you read Matthew's account in chapter four, you'll see the last two. Two and three are actually swapped around. Matthew has it the other way. But Luke's put it this way because um, it works like we're looking at the pride of life in that. And so as we understand the world, uh, um, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and is the emphasis behind this third and final temptation, okay, for... Adam and Eve's third temptation, it was the tree, according, you know, to the subtle servant, to be, it was in chapter uh, 3, verse 6 there of Genesis, it was to be desired to make one wise. And that's the same order of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And it was then Adam and Eve, they took the forbidden fruit, we know, and both disobediently ate. And as by one man's sin, sin... Death came and you know and upon all men there. So twice now the Spirit's mighty sword that the Lord Jesus has used in verse four and eight, the Word of God has been flashed very brightly before the, the Satan's eyes, the devil's eyes. Now he tries in this third one, as we look at the Word of God, to quote it himself. Satan takes Jesus here. We see in this account to the highest point of the temple. There in Jerusalem, the pinnacle, right at the highest point there. Maybe it was a part that overlooked the Kidron Gorge there because it, it goes down further and, and we, we don't know. And But to tempt him, to throw himself off basically, the top, by using scripture here, he seeks to justify this dramatic action that will gain Jesus much attention if he does it. And so as we consider verse 10 and 11, we need to consider Psalms 91 because I'm going to just quickly flick back there. With, I've got my bookmark. As we look at these two, the way that 
The devil uses the word of God in the way the Lord Jesus corrects him. Psalms 91. But let me read the way the devil uses it here in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Luke and see what the problem is. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. All right? Psalms 91, as we look at the account ourselves. And again, verse 10. Uh, and 11. It's interesting how, like, chapter 4 and 4, Matthew and Luke, and then, anyway, it's just, just it was easy. For verse, um, let's read verse 11. For he shall give, this is the true account of what the whole scripture says. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. We see those words missing, all, all thy ways. But I'll read verse 12. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And so um, the Lord Jesus, knowing the word of God, he was the word, um, knew that the devil had torn that, that the text that he used from the context that we just read here, and as I've learned, has made it a pretext. When you do that, you take it out of context and you and you look at it your own way, not in the context and in the whole. Uh, they, they even left words out, which we know today more than ever is a favourite trick of Satan's. And this is why we have so many false religions, because he has deceived them. So many apostate churches and error in the churches and uh, because of... Um, not being alarmed at this as the Lord is. And so Satan conveniently left out, as we see, the words in verse 11 of Psalm 91, to keep thee in all thy ways. Those one, two, three, four, in all thy ways. That is, whose way? God's way. God's will. God's wisdom. And God's wisdom would cause the obedient child of God to not be so foolish in their submission to his will. God's child in wisdom of God, the red flags would go up straight away, noticing that, and that's what they should in our knowledge of the word and meditation when people are dealing with the scriptures that are trying to prove something that just doesn't seem right. And so even a few words left out, and there are versions that leave words out that we need to be so aware of and careful. Um, it makes a huge difference between the flesh and God's word. The devil was lying in suggestion that there would be some... What he was trying to create was with these verses as a pretext, there'd be some suggestion that there'd be some dramatic angelic rescue from death if the Lord cast himself down. But that wasn't going to... Satan would want the Lord to cast himself down, yes, subtly hoping that he would jump to his death. But the pride of life is very destructive if we don't recognise it in our lives. And uh, we will push against God's will for public recognition in that pride of life. As the deaf devil was subtly hinting back here in Luke 4 to Jesus about jumping off the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. See, saying, well, hinting that you would have instant success instant recognition 
The Lord had his Bible ready. He replied in verse 12b there. Thou shalt, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And these were taken from the book of Deuteronomy, these responses to these. And Satan's three attempts were all defeated by the Lord's knowledge of the Bible, the Word of God. And we know in the beginning was the Word. He was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God, as we know from John, the Gospel there. And just in concluding, as we consider this account, the believing heart must be alert and ready for Satan's fierce attacks. As a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. And that is a verse we should know well, First Peter 5.8. We need to understand a contrast in Scripture. God tests, the devil tempts. And the Bible says God may test us, but never in solicitation or enticement to evil. And we know that powerful example of Hebrews 11.7. And, you know, we see that with the faith of Abraham and Isaac in that account, they went through God's test and um, in obedience. And verse 19 of Hebrews 11, they believed that God was able through the promise, raise up if Isaac died. They believed that God was able to raise him up. And this became a powerful figure and a type in scriptures to today of a beautiful, of the only begotten Son of God in obedience unto death, willingly that willingness to die for our sins. And so, um, and then when we think of tempting, Satan tempting, God tests, Satan tempts, working through our own lusts, tempts us to evil, you know, in the thought or acts, outward acts, and he has been doing this right from the beginning with man and right to now he's had much practice and experience and how much more than ever now we see um, we need the word of God the whole council, and uh, the Lord Jesus was fully prepared for the challenge, and we can too, even in his greatest weakness, as he was there physically, as Luke was emphasising the perfect humanity of Christ. The Spirit of God was intently involved, intimately involved. And if you have the word with you and no spirit, well then that creates someone who's quite puffed up. There's a balance there, and we see that here. The Spirit of God opening the eyes of our understanding, illuminating us in the Word of God. And the whole point of the test here focused on the Lord's, one, submission to the will of God. God's Word, rightly understood and applied, was central to the victory here. And three times Christ appealed, it is written, it is written, it is written, and in the Old Testament, we would see, thus saith the Lord. The amazing blessing today is that same weapon is available to every believer, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We have it available to us through the empowerment and understanding of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit. And let's not be deceived by Satan's devices, for he can quote scripture we see too, as do the many cults he has established. And this account emphasises Christ did not defeat Satan by appealing to his divine nature or supernatural power, which he had available. But in God's will as a perfect man, depending on God the Father and relying fully on God the Holy Spirit, we see Christ gain the victory. 
And we can follow his example and defeat Satan in the same way. Jesus demonstrated that man submitting to God's will, walking in the spirit, relying upon and using the word of God is more than a match for Satan. Amen.